Just as a reminder, you can visit us at thepandapod.com. That's thepandapod.com to grab our RSS feed, listen directly, and share Pandapod with your family and friends. You can also reach us directly via email through podcast at thepandapod.com. Thanks for listening. Jackie, and this is our new episode of the Panda Pod. I'm here with four of my best friends to talk to you today about what Jacob's going to tell you, along with everybody else. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hey. What is up, everybody? And there must be somebody missing here, because uh, you said four of your best friends. She's her own best friend. I am my own best friend. I mean, you got to love yourself for just existing, right? The ghost of podcast pass. <laughs> Once upon a time, I had so many friends. Please continue. <laughs> Speaking of things that are overestimated uh, and ephemeral, uh, today we're going to be talking about economic <laughs> bubbles. Um, so uh, I've, I've gotten some notes together about um, some historical economic bubbles, and I want to get into that. Um, but first, um, I kind of just want to talk about what they are in general, um, without getting into too many specifics, because I'm sure people have a lot of thoughts on the economic bubbles we've, um, we've lived through. Um, I'd rather not jump straight into talking about those. Um, but I want to talk about, you know, like try to just get some terminology clear that makes sense well that's good because you guys mentioned that we're gonna be talking about bubbles and i was doing some research on bubbles and i realized i don't think i really fully understand what a bubble is like i've definitely lived through some i understand it on a very high level but please like break this down for us what what is a bubble so um a bubble like in this absolute simplest terms is when asset prices greatly exceed the value of those assets um so essentially, things are being bought and sold for way more than they are actually worth, um, which really begs the important question, right? Which is, how do you measure what something is actually worth? Right. I was. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So for those who might be wondering, was the GameStop stock a bubble? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think, why don't we start with a different question, which is just, like, I, I think I, I actually would like to pose this to everybody, which is, like, how do you feel like you measure the value? Of anything? Yeah, of anything. Like, let's just say, like, an apple. Like, why does an apple have value at all? Because I want to eat money? it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's two different two different answers, right? One is it costs money, and the other one is because you can eat it. Um and uh, and so I mean like it, it's it's kind of a oddly debated topic still to this day like does anything have any kind of intrinsic value right like does anything have an objective measure of value? Hmm. Would I would say that something is worth based on how badly it's needed and how much that person can pay for it sure 
Sure. So, so I mean, uh, that's a capitalist version. I, <laughs> the capitalist right. version. Right. Well, I mean, it, and it is like reasonable to say that, right? I mean, that's that like it, it that, but it still isn't necessarily giving you an intrinsic value. Um, because I mean, the value depends on what someone's willing to pay for it in, in the context of a given moment, right? Like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a rope has a lot more value when you're throwing it to someone in the river uh, who's drowning than it does just sitting on land, right? That's true. By that definition. Um, so so that that's still, it isn't a measure of the rope's intrinsic value. Um, and, and, and I think, I mean, I'm not trying to say that uh, any of us are stupid for not being able to come up with the right answer. I don't have the right answer, right? I don't, I'm not sure that anybody does. I mean, they, there's famously the labor theory of value, which is that it has something to do with how much um, you know, labor is put into creating the item, but even that you know, is 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 quite challenging to measure. It seems it seems to me that the things that are worth the most perhaps take less effort. Like I'm thinking about art in particular. Like like one person painting, it's a lot of effort for that one person, but I mean, millions of dollars worth of effort. Like yeah, how do we determine? what the value of something is i guess who put those for... people in charge right <laughs> right <laughs> i guess it's i've heard that i've heard it said that something is is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it sure but i mean i don't know how to still reckon all of that yeah like why is somebody willing to worth or willing to pay so much for like, like artwork what is the most you would pay for a hamburger just on its own? Just a hamburger with a patty with cheese. How much? I mean, $15 if it's the right place, I would say. Yeah. Without French fries? Uh, I mean, I would be a little pissed that they didn't serve with fries. So it was a good burger, though. Yeah. A good burger, 15 bucks. Okay. But, like, what about a burger with fries? No, not even that. Or how about a burger in Vegas? You're on vacation and you're at a resort and you're going to buy a burger. That burger is going to cost a little bit more money because you're somewhere else now. You're no longer at the diner down the street, but now you're at a place that has like a resort fee. That's a destination that lots of people are eating at. How much are you going to pay for a burger then? Like what's your price tag for that burger? I mean, I paid $25 or more for similar sandwiches, I think. So... I guess not only is it about the price that something costs, but also the opportunity for that object. Like an apple at the grocery store when you don't really care about it is going to be X amount of dollars. But if you're, if you're craving an apple and you've been thinking about it for days or weeks and you're like, oh shit, I can't live without the apple, how much are you willing to pay for it? And so I guess that's kind of the market, right? Did I right. just crack it with apples and burgers? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's you're, we're still we're still basing the definition on circumstances. Um, so I mean, it it, it doesn't uh, give us some intrinsic property of the item. Um, but I mean, I I, I think that this kind of leads into the the some more things about economic bubbles, which is that like really what investors are trying to do when they're when they're trying to like set the price of an asset, right? Is that they're trying to estimate the long slash short term value, right? So like they 
they're trying to figure out what is the price of like what are apples going to sell for over the next two years as they you know buy apple futures on the stock market you know and 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 they're what the, what they're willing to pay for it does kind of actually affect the price of apples to some degree too um so so i mean like a lot of economic bubbles that we like pretty much everything that we've ever that we ever recognize in history is an economic bubble um at least involves some uh, like analog to the modern stock market that we have today um because i mean that's what that that that's essentially what's being done in a stock market is that people are trying to estimate the value of things so so there are you know guidelines on what makes a like a company successful right like it's like it's revenue and how much money it spends on just running itself and you know the money that it pays back on loans that it's taken out and all these kinds of things and you know what its market cap is and what its capture of that market is and sure and all of these different things and and but they all don't really mean anything <laughs> like kind of in the same way that we're talking about the burger Right. They they all kind of don't mean anything because it's just based on how people feel. Not only sure. that, but they've been wrong. His, some of them have been wrong as well. And just noting this, um, while some valuations are correct, if you look at WeWork, some of them are very, very wrong. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Extremely wrong. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, that I think that what you're getting at is like there are um there's guidelines on on how to value something like there's um memory and they're like in the sense that the people remember certain things being worth certain things and therefore they feel like things might be worth that in the future right um they, they can draw on experience trying to evaluate evaluate something but ultimately it is sort of a guessing game. um and 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 people value things wrong literally every day in the sense that um that anytime a stock goes down somebody's losing because of that right somebody had purchased at a higher price yeah completely so, sure uh maybe that brings me to one more property of a bubble which is that uh they're kind of by definition really hard to recognize when you're in one um because if if the majority of people could could see it as a bubble, there wouldn't be a bubble, right? Because the the investors are they they I mean, presumably, uh, and I mean maybe this is kind of quote unquote. Are 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 like, are they? Let me let me start that again. Um, presumably, investors are, at least in our system, in in, in the fiction of our system, they're smarter than the average person in the population, right? Uh, sure. Or they're better at estimating the value than the average person population. Whether that's actually true, you know, that's debatable. Um, but but at the, I would say at the very least, um, the average population like represents them, right? So if so, if most people, if seventy five percent of people, let's say, could recognize that we're in a bubble, then that would mean that there wouldn't be a bubble because seventy five percent of investors would recognize recommend recognize that as well, and therefore they wouldn't be evaluating 
uh, evaluating the asset price wrong, right? It's not necessarily true because people are just straight up greedy. And that's really what the cause of bubbles are is greed, in my opinion. So you're saying, are you are you saying that they might recognize that the price is set incorrectly and deliberately um, uh, manipulated? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's undoubtedly going to be true, but for a small subset of, you know, the okay, people. Okay, well, then, then, how do we, then how do we explain the 2008 crash without saying that most of that wasn't greed when they knew that everything was overpriced? Because not everyone knew that it was overpriced to begin with. I think a very small section of people knew that it was. And so you're right, greed really drove it, but there were a lot of other things at hand as well. Like, well, sure, just... there, there, there were, but I mean, they were raking in record bonuses, like it... record bonuses for years. <laughs> There's definitely, you know, they were they were taking, you know, I don't I don't want to get into it too much, but. They were taking things that just weren't worth what they were worth and putting them and hiding them in, in like, like batches together and then selling them for much more than what they were worth. So, like, especially with with housing and things like that, like that was just normal. And they knew that, that like they, they knew that they were doing that on purpose. I think a key phrase in what you just said is selling. Uh, in the sense that they have to sell it to somebody, and if and, and what I'm trying to say is, um, I, I mean, I, I I think I agree with what you're saying, it, in that what w that it that it drives the bubble. Um, what I'm saying is definitionally right. If 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 the if there was no one to buy the asset at that inflated value, it wouldn't be inflated, right? If the majority of people could recognize what was going on, then then they wouldn't purchase the asset at the inflated price and therefore it wouldn't demand that inflated price yeah i well I, I, I think it depends on on which bubble we're talking about because i think i don't think each bubble is the same sure right? we're talking about general bubbleization right now yeah, yeah general sure. general bubbleization <laughs> i i don't think that's i don't think it's true for all of them but i definitely think I okay. have a feeling that Jacob's going to rock our world until this is exactly where we're yeah. going. And I yeah, this is perfect because we want to talk about specific ones. So I want to talk about some historical ones that were notable. Um, so I have notes on three. Um, and the first one is the infamous bubble that everybody, I feel like, has heard about, which is Dutch tulip mania. Have you guys heard about this? For the sake of the exercise, please tell me more. No, I don't know anything about this. I do. <laughs> Wait, so Jeff, you, you've actually never heard of Dutch Tulipmania? I have not, no. Okay, so this was like the probably the first recorded bubble, um, which is uh, appropriate because um, uh, the Dutch pretty much invented the modern stock market. Um, and it occurred in the 1600s. Um, and it wrapped up by around 1637. Um so essentially what the bubble was about was tulips, obviously. Um, they came to Europe. Um, I mean, they, they were in the Ottoman Empire in like the 1100s, but they really came to like Northern Europe uh, where the Dutch were only only recently at that point, right? Um, 
and they weren't really like any of the, of the other flowers in Europe. Um, I don't know why exactly they were different. Um, one difference, though, is that tulips, um, they have a bulb underground that, like, controls the flower that comes out. Um, and they, uh, like, in the sense that um, they, they, the whole plant dies and then it comes back again in the spring, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So, so that's that's one difference. Um, and it, in in general, the flowers that it makes always look the same. I guess that is kind of how um, uh, plants work. But um, one one thing about the Dutch tulips, like when they started to get really expensive, um, was that uh, they were really interested in um, particular patterns on the tulips. Um, most tulips are a solid color, but uh, they didn't know at the time, but some of the tulips they had had a virus that caused them to be like striped red and white or like striped pink and red or something like that. And so they thought those were very, very beautiful. Um, and the rich people in Holland wanted to pay a lot of money for them. So when you say a virus, like like detrimental to the plants or... Mm -hmm. Or just a weird variation, like a mutation? Uh, it's been, I mean, it's described as a virus in, in everything I've read. Um, I don't think it really hurt the plant all that much. Um, I think one of the things that the virus, like what, what caused the virus is the fact that they were trying to replicate the same tulips over and over again. Um, and instead of like, like they weren't letting them really grow naturally. They were kind of like, the ones that were worth a lot, they would they would try to breed, you know, and create a bunch of them, and and so some of those would go a little off, and then they would make some even rarer ones, you know. I feel bad for these tulips, man. <laughs> I do, I do, but that's neither here nor there. Um. So what happened after they started trying to create all these hybrid tulips? So, I mean, the price of the tulip got, or some of the, the most expensive ones got to be as expensive for one tulip bulb um, as uh, the, like, as a mansion on, like, the main street in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. Cool. So, one flower was commanding the same price as a house, supposedly. There's actually a lot of, of debate about whether this really occurred. There was a guy in um, the 1800s that wrote a book about it, and a lot of the historical record is drawn from that book. And obviously, the guy in the 1800s didn't experience it. Um, so, you know, it is a little sketchy whether some of this occurred or whether, like, some of it's just a parable. Uh, sorry, a parable. Um, but uh, we definitely know that they were selling, you know, flowers for way more than they were worth. Okay. So what 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 do we learn from that? So I, I think there's a couple of interesting things about it. One thing is that um, they weren't actually selling um, flowers. They they were selling the bulbs, meaning they were selling um, ungrown tulips mostly. Oh. Um, so it, it was it was essentially a form of speculation because they you didn't know exactly whether the tulip was going to pop out with the virus and have a beautiful pattern on it. Um, so you were kind of gambling, right? So this is like the first like loot boxes or the first yeah. like, gotcha toys. Yeah, in a way. 
Um, another interesting thing is that they weren't actually selling um, uh, physical plants at all. In some cases, um, when, when when the bubble was really going crazy, um, it was people kind of meeting in a coffee house outside of the stock market. So it wasn't an official part of the stock market. And what they were buying and selling was um, contracts from growers. So like they would not come bring the tulip bulbs in in plant pots um, and and like and like physically trade those around for money. They would basically just be trading pieces of paper that said, "Okay, in a year, I'm going to purchase tulips from this grower for this amount." Yeah, option. Also yeah. known as options Whittler. and futures. Oh my god, this is ridiculous! And they did this. This has to be real, like, because it's not like people were buying big screen TVs back then. What else were they going to spend their monies on? Tulips. Sure, Absolutely. sure. And 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 this was a period where where um, Holland was very very rich. Um, they had kind of just come onto the scene, um, making a lot of boats, basically doing what England would do a little later, um, and and kind of running the world um, trade. Uh, trading spices from India and other places um, back to Europe. Um, so they were making money hand over fist. So it kind of made sense that some of it would essentially go into a black hole. And that's still happening to this day. <laughs> yep. I mean, I'm thinking about it. And the other day I was dupe scrolling on Instagram, watching video of this one does real, sorry. And there was a, there was one of a guy that would go to the quarry and hand over money to a guy and he would take these uh, rocks home. I don't know the actual term for it. And then open them up to see if there was rare gems inside of it. Oh yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, this is just like the clamshell shucking on Facebook or whatever XYZ thing that people are deciding to spend a lot of their money on these days. So those, I don't want to say it's a scam. It kind of feels like a scam to me. I mean, are Pokemon cards a scam? Well, you know? I'm saying the tulip thing kind of sounds like a scam because it's like, I don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> you might get this or you might get nothing, but you're still going to buy it from me, right? They knew and they made a ton of money. That's amazing. So I'm going to have to Google this after we're done and learn absolutely everything I can about it. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Um, and uh, at some point, I maybe want to read that Scottish guy's book uh, from the 1800s. Uh, it seems interesting. Even if um, modern historians think a lot of what he was saying is kind of fabricated slash um, exaggerated. like well exaggerated and also um, kind of trying to make an allegory to to what was happening in the 1800s, you know, um, mm -hmm. like he had he had a very um, modernist from his perspective perspective. Gotcha. Um, so the next one I want to talk about is the South Sea bubble, which is actually where we get the term bubble. Um, and, uh, this one, it happened, uh, between in the 1700s, um, uh, it, it wrapped up by about 1720. Uh, and I keep saying wrapped up because, um, I mean, like the tulips started showing up in, in, in Holland at like 1599, you know, and they, and, and they were really popular then too. Right. It's just that like, it's, it's difficult to nail exactly when the bubble started. Right. I'm sure that somebody with good enough historical records could pick a date. Um, but I mean, uh, wrapped up makes a lot more sense because that's, that's, that's the one that's obvious to us. There's a big crash. Um, so the South Sea bubble, um, it wrapped up by 1720 and it was big, like in essence, it was a get rich quick scheme for a bunch of rich people in England. 
um, because what happened was um, the South Sea Company um, was formed, and they had the exclusive rights within England to sell slaves to South America. Um, and what, like, so essentially they had a government monopoly. No other company in England could um, uh, could do that. And that was a really common practice at the time to, to, to essentially for the government to decide, like when, when things, when certain things had, uh, especially when they had like diplomatic, right, that they would just, they would basically just form a company to go do a certain thing. Um, and they would, as part of forming that company, give them an exclusive monopoly and not allow any other companies to form to do that thing. Um, so, you know, obviously South America, mostly at that time in the, in the 1700s was like directly controlled by Spain. Um, and so, uh, the, the South Sea Company spent a little bit of time actually selling slaves to South America. And then England and Spain went to war and they couldn't sell slaves anymore. Um, but that basically what happened was, uh, people started speculating on, the amount of money that they were going to be able to make once the war resolved and the slave trade could resume. So at some point, um, the King of England in 1718 actually became the, uh, the like, <laughs> essentially CEO of that company. I mean, they didn't have the term CEO then, but he was in charge of the company. Um, so that really made people think like, okay, if the King of England is in charge of this thing, like even though they're not directly selling slaves right now, this is going to be worth a lot of money someday. Um, and essentially a bunch of people in the English government really hyped up the price of the South Sea Company so that they can make a lot of money in the short term, um, and kind of get out. Like, so they were, they were, this is a case where they were very aware of what they were doing, um, and, uh, and, and trying to essentially, uh, get a bunch of money out of their marks. So that's very much like what Wiggy was saying about how like it's it's a, a few greedy people that start it and it kind of snowballs out of control from there sounds like right. insider trading to me yeah i mean it really was insider trading because not only did the english government form this company in the first place but i mean literally their king was the ceo which is really fucked up it's <laughs> funny let's see how much money we can make on slavery let's bet on it too Let's maximize our profits. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty shitty in general, like their behavior, obviously. Um, but I mean, it, it's not a su it wasn't a super abnormal practice. Like, I mean, people weren't like people wouldn't wouldn't see the king being this in charge of this company as like an abnormal clue that the company was not actually worth what it was set, you know, what right. it said it was worth. Yeah, those were very different times. Sure. Also. Also, let's let's make something abundantly clear. Most people, I'm going to say this in a couple different ways so that I cover <laughs> all of these bases real quick. Good luck. Number one, people throughout history have not been told how and 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 taught how money works. So most people are suckers because they don't understand because they don't understand how money works. Okay. 
still, yep, like you said, still definitely true until today. Number two is most people don't pay attention. And so they get caught unawares when these fads come through. And, you know, someone makes a hype about something like like in in Rab's example today, you know, they hype up this company saying, man, this is, there's going to be so much money in here. And everybody's like, man, well, I better, I, I better get a piece of that. And then they get taken advantage of. And then number three, most people are stupid, including myself. Most people are just dumb. And it's really easy to just take advantage of people in general. And that's what that's this situation. <laughs> and a lot of the situations going forward are all the exact same thing. Yeah, I think that's largely correct. I, I mean, I definitely think people don't know how money works. I think it's easy to call people stupid in retrospect. I mean, you weren't I mean, I guess. If we were there, we might make the same decisions they did, right? I mean, and that's what you said in in your uh, your comment as well, right? I mean, you include yourself in the pot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you think okay, maybe I know something somebody else doesn't know, right? Because you hear a whisper, right? That's the key, right? though. So the you knowing feel special. It's not that people are stupid; it's that they're ill informed. Yep, and often in well, that no, that well, that was the first thing. The first thing is the ill informed. The third thing was that people are stupid. Well, but I don't like, want to. I don't like some people are stupid, definitely. But I think, I think, I want to. I kind of want to vouch for the people in these situations that get that follow financial advice from companies like this because the economy hasn't changed a whole lot since back when this happened, right? Like slavery was not that long ago. Like realistically, it just wasn't, and so. When you have companies like this, sorry for going off on a tirade here, but maybe this will help more. Um, so if you have a company like that company, that's like, we are going to start giving an idea. We're going to listen to these whispers and start evaluating our own company. We're, wanna, we're going to drive that up more. And because people are talking about our company, our company is going to be worth more because people are talking, talking, talking. And as consumers, like then before with slaves, unfortunately, uh, akin to people today buying Stanley mugs even, the economy is driven by people who are behind it, making all the money off of consumers like us. So they, it's not that we're necessarily stupid. It's that we're, we're, we are the product because they are selling to us, making money off of us. So their job is to make sure they're, make sure that we are not as informed as we could or should be, because if we were, they would stop making as much money. And I think that's a really important distinction. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they want to keep this working, even if it, even if, um, uh, if, if the bubble collapses, you know, the people who were behind that bubble would be more, would be interested in the ability to make another bubble in the future and therefore exploit some of the same tactics, maybe not exactly the same things because people would be wise to it, but, but a similar strategy, um, to, to, to repeat the same pattern and then make a bunch of money again. And would you say that the pattern that they used during this, this situation from the past was used again and again and again? 
but in more creative ways. I mean, I think the basic pattern, sure. Like, like if you realize that you're holding something um, that's not worth what you paid for it, the best thing to do is to get someone else to uh, to pay more. I mean, if like that pattern, it has been replicated many, many, many times. Wiggy, I have an exercise ball that I bought for eight dollars. Would you like to buy it for nine dollars? It's freshly inflated. It's, it's freshly inf- inflated. Yeah. You've already done the work of the inflation. Yeah. So really, <laughs> What's like, labor? It's, it's, it's a, a dollar steel. labor cost. Yeah, it's a dollar amount. labor cost. Hmm. I mean, if I need one, sure. And then what if you got like all of your friends to start buying these like previously inflated exercise balls? What like it's such a convenience? What like know? the uh, what they're what they're dubbing the uh, uh, it, it is a the big because... fluffy office chairs that they're selling on TikTok or the Ambernick uh, handheld Game Boys that sell for they're trying to sell for thirty five dollars, but when you go on there, it's actually seventy five. That's kind of, that's kind is that of what, what I'm we're saying. talking about? That's what I'm saying. Like we are as consumers, I was, I was thinking about before, like you said, as consumers, we are as ill prepared as possible by the companies that want to make lots of money off of us. Cause some dumb asses out there buying fancy aero, not aerodynamic, fancy office chairs with a ball on it. Baby, go get your own ball from target. You can sit on that $25. You don't need something from TikTok. I digress. I'm going to start ranting. Please keep going. I'm going to I'm going to stop myself. Well, I don't have a whole lot more to say about historical bubbles. The only other one I have in my notes um uh oh actually one more thing about the South Sea company that's interesting. Um at one point it decided to purchase the debt of the of the Crown of England entirely. Um so like before the height of the bubble was over, um this the South Sea company was part of the, its value was the fact that it owned all the debt of uh, the crown of England. And so when it collapsed, well, uh, England wasn't in debt anymore at that point. Mm. Convenient. Yeah. (laughs) Coincidence? Why we haven't done that yet. (laughs) Yeah, just make a company and and have it purchase all of America's debt. And then be like... Yeah, have it purchase, like, what? Tens of trillions of dollars in bonds. Yeah, the problem is exactly who it would have to purchase it from, because I think at that point, um, those people would essentially be getting paid for the fact that they own the debt, which, I mean, that, and and then that would essentially be the same thing as the American government just repaying them. Right. Yeah, they would be repaying themselves. Right. Um, so the last one I have in my notes is the Mississippi Company. And why I think this one was interesting is because it also wrapped up in 1720, um, but it, this was happening in France. And it was also about overinflating something something that was like happening overseas. Um, this one was about the fact that um, France wanted to exploit the Louisiana territories that it had in, um, in, in the continental USA. Um, and uh, like, so essentially um, the... The French crown was massively in debt, um, and they uh, hired, interestingly enough, a Scottish banker to come deal with it. Um, and so uh, they they formed the Mississippi Company 
to kind of do a similar thing to what the South Sea Company was doing. I mean, it wasn't about slaves, but it was about, there were a lot of these. There was the Virginia Company, there was all kinds of stuff, right? Um, so, uh, but, but essentially it was, it was a similar, like, idea. They, they were, they were, people were betting on how much they could make from the land that France owned in the New World. Um, so, so why I think it's notable is just the fact that it wrapped up at the same time, um, meaning like this is kind of a clue that at that point, even if people weren't really aware of it, they were like these bubbles were like uh, artifacts of a global economy. Okay, so f from here, we're going to start talking about bubbles we've experienced, right? Yeah, I feel like I'm going to have a lot more to to say about those. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of those and kind of use what we've learned as like context for them. What's like what what is the first bubble that we would have experienced in our lifetimes? That'd be like the dot com bubble. I think so. I think so as well. Um, that was 2000, basically. Yeah, I think it was 1990s, the late 1990s. I'm going to yeah. sound like an idiot here, maybe, but were Beanie Babies a bubble? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's no real official list of bubbles, but yeah, I would say that Beanie Babies were a bubble because, I mean, they clearly were not worth what what they were selling for. Although, in some ways, I mean, that that had, they some of those did sell like, a, like today for huge amounts of money, right? I mean... Isn't that bubble kind of still going on in a way? Like, didn't it make a comeback? Do you think I don't think as much as it was when when I was a kid, but I assure you that I was one of those kids that was hog shit wild over Beanie Baby. Yeah, same. Like, thinking <laughs> about it, I feel like that might have been the first bubble that really affected me in some way. Because, like, I was under the understanding that we were driving around to every single McDonald's in Indianapolis because we were going to make a profit off of these Beanie Babies we were getting in the Happy Meals. You know what I mean? Sure. And that did not happen. And so that affected me greatly. <laughs> I don't know if my, I hope my dad will hear this, but when I moved from, from Ohio to, to Ohio from Texas, my Beanie Babies were put into a plastic bag because I had life so many times where we lived in Texas. And my mom left them outside on the back porch and it rained. And the rain got into the bag of my Beanie Babies and all of their tags bled and they were, Ruined. they were ruined to all of them oh and that God. was i think that was my first like heartbreak you so, burst your own bubble i i did i didn't my mom did she's making up for it by sending me socks thanks mom please continue <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I was gonna say something really close to that which is like i mean really like the fact that you played with them and that they had lice like the fact that you used them at all probably ruined the any any actual potential value they had right oh, i mean yeah. not not trying to to take blame off your mom right but no but i had friends and I, i'm sure jeff did as well if you were that invested i had friends who were not allowed to touch their beanie babies and they were put into plastic cases oh yeah don't touch don't like don't even breathe at them yeah i had a friend named chris wilson chris if you're out there i love you bud um and he was so into Beanie Babies, and his mom was too. They had like an entire room dedicated to like just holding and securing these Beanie Babies. 
Like not really really even displaying them. Like you couldn't really walk around in there because there were so many. Yeah, my uh, my cousin and my my grandma, my (laughs) one of my cousins lived with my grandma and he had. Probably, I don't even know how many Beanie Babies, but it it, it was, a, it, you know, one of the things they would do everything possible to get like the newest one for him. Um, one of the benefits he had was, you know, his mom lived in California and, you know, we lived in in Illinois. So uh, there was, you know, if there was one that we couldn't get out here that was able to be, you know, purchased in California, then they would trade back and forth and all those kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, they, they're oh, crazy, but also super cute. I'm not gonna not say it. Yeah, they were, true. they were, I love my Iggy cute. Iguana, you know. Do you, do you want to know how much that damn lobster is worth? Oh my god. $35,000. What? I definitely had one of those lobsters. I did too. The most expensive one, according to parade.com, is a 15 inch piece bear, nine inches uh, piece Ringo and bones. And those are $159,000 if they're paired together. So that's for three. That's crazy. Our parents robbed us. Yeah. So what is the what is it called when something is has like a crazy like valuation, but then like it actually holds value? Like is that a boom then? Would that be like the opposite of a, a bubble? Well, I mean, no, that's I just think, accuracy. Yeah, I mean to some degree it is accuracy, right? Because it's like even though like obviously I can look at a beanie baby and say like, okay, if I were to make that scratch like even if i had to go purchase the machine and all of the like if i had to purchase cloth like at from michael's or whatever and and get it the exact same quality and all that stuff i mean clearly even me not doing it at scale could make it for less than one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, right um but 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 i mean if it's selling for that amount then like it technically is still valued at that amount right yeah, I guess I'm thinking more along the lines of like other like maybe bubbles I've experienced, like like Magic the Gathering, for instance, like that was one where, you know, if you invested early, like it really has paid off for some people. Sure. You know? Yeah, um, but that's just see, this is this is the thing. If it, it this is it's all about risk and it's all about taking risk. If you take the risk and it pays off. You just did the good thing. But if you take the risk and you fail, that's when we start looking at things in a negative way. So with That sounds like with, a really obvious statement. Yeah. Like, it, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> it, it is. But there's no word for, I mean, just being successful on your risk. I mean, you just, you yes, did what is. you were supposed to do and it Isn't worked. It though? Isn't that like being bearish? Now, like being bearish and being bullish on on stocks means that some people are saying that the that you know the stocks are overpriced. Some people are saying that the stocks are worth more than what they're at. It's essentially people who are effectively guessing as to whether or not the stocks are worth what they're worth at that moment. 
that's literally what a bear and a bull market are. And a bear market, people are like, okay, there's other things going on. The there's too much volatil volatility. Like we need to slow this down, and you know we don't really recommend that people buy stocks right now. And then on the flip side, there's you, you guys. We we've we're hitting it out of the park. Like all these companies are hitting it out of the park. It's time to buy stock and hold it because it's going to grow and you're going to make a ton of money. Well, I mean, I think this is all interesting discussion of surrounding bubbles. Uh, we, I mean, we were talking about the dot-com bubble somewhat because, I mean, just like that was definitely the first one that we experienced that involves the stock market, right? I mean, we, we kind of yeah. got into talking about like consumer good bubbles, which I think are bubbles too. Um, uh, I mean, because Be Beanie Babies obviously did crash, right? I mean, that, yeah. there was there was a time where right. they were, I mean, even the really rare ones were effectively worthless. Rest um, babies. Yeah. So the dot com bubble, uh, it um, was between it was in the late nineteen nineties, and it peaked on Friday, March tenth, two thousand. Um, so. On uh, between 1995 and its peak in March 2000, investments uh, rose 800%, um, only to fall to 78% from its peak. So basically, they, they 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 rose eight times, and then they basically lost all of that value. Um, and uh, there was a lot of um, stuff going on where um, what people would do is they would purchase a kind of really rare or short URL and then essentially put up a like fly-by-night shop there. And and so, I mean, one one very notable example is pets.com. Do you guys know about that? Uh, once upon a time, I think I did, but you know, I don't know now. Yeah, tell me so more. Pets.com was essentially um, a... Uh, like they were a company that was intending to be a large scale pet um, online pet retailer. I mean, and, and obviously like we have today, we have like Chewy, like that is a company that's real and is actually selling um, products and, and presumably doing well. Um, but, and I'm sure there are competitors to Chewy as well. I mean, this episode brought to you by Chewy. Um, but <laughs> uh, we, um, uh, but but pets.com, I mean, essentially what they did was they parked on the domain, thinking that, okay, well, if we own pets.com, then, like, the value of that can only go up. Uh, they launched in November 1998, so that was kind of like part of the bubble, right? And they, they, they finally shut down in November 2000. Um, and so uh, they... Um, uh, the, the the person bought the domain name in 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 November 1994. Um, so I mean that was kind of like before the bubble started, and they realized, oh okay, well we're sitting on the name pets.com, like that's got to be worth something. So they decided to put a store there. Um, this culminated with them, um, you know, placing an ad in the 2000 Super Bowl. Um, and uh, I mean at that point they still weren't really doing a lot of business i mean i do think they were really selling things online but i mean online retail wasn't 
as big in 2000 as it is today, obviously. They were, this is still 56k modem days. Like, this is way back in the win. The the beginning of the win. Right. (laughs) And so when they went public, they raised $82.5 million. Wow. Golly. Um, so that was a really notable example of, um, of, of what was happening during the dot-com bubble. Um, but essentially, it's the same story replicated, right? People thought that, I mean, they actually correctly thought, right, that the right. internet was going to be worth a lot of money. It's just that they didn't realize that it couldn't hold the stock prices, right? Like, they couldn't... It, 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 the internet largely couldn't um can't even really think of the word maybe somebody else can explain this a little bit better Do you yeah know? so it, they were they were correct in saying that the internet was going to be extremely valuable in the future they they caught it they really did they got it right um what they didn't get right was they thought that the gains in the technology and the things that they could get from it and the things that they could do with it and the amount of money they could get would be almost near immediate and didn't realize the long-term impact of, I mean, which nobody did, um, like the long-term impact in usage of the internet. And so what they did was they pumped these companies full of money. And then when these companies obviously could not turn a profit because nobody was buying anything online because it was just too new and nobody trusted it. Right. You know, so, and there wasn't an easy, there wasn't an easy way to like process payments. There Sure. wasn't a good way to pay for stuff like it it just wasn't ready yet and they they paid the price because it wasn't ready yet and i think it's important to be clear that the investors in pets.com they knew that it wasn't ready yet in some way right they understood that it wasn't the like that that pets.com like they could they could pull the reports from pets like the at least the top investors right could, could like pull the reports and see, okay, here's how much they're actually selling. Um, here's how much business they're doing today, right? It's just that there was an inappropriate evaluation of how much business they could actually do in the near term. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, there's a giant market for, for that. Yeah, days. exactly. Exactly. You know, but, but years to take off. Yeah, it just it took a really long time and they didn't really account for long term strategy. Um, lots of people just wanted to make as much money as they possibly could in the short term off of it because it was an opportunity. Um, and lots of people, there were people who kept their money in it and did see big, gigantic gains later on. Um but right. but most people didn't. They freaked out. We're like, no. Like <laughs> and, well, eBay, Amazon, Google, all of those companies were around during uh the, the, the dot com bubble and they 
you know, kind of manage to turn it around in a way, right? I mean, they, they, they actually, it, it's kind of interesting because um, due to the fact that the dot-com bubble was happening, there was a lot of investment in infrastructure for the internet, right? Because it was like, okay, well, we need to run these sites. So we need servers to run these sites. We need, you know, the actual physical cables to run the internet around and all that stuff. And so, I mean, all this money was getting pumped into physical infrastructure. And even when the dot-com bubble burst, that was still there. So that allowed companies like Google and Amazon and eBay to actually take advantage of really cheap prices on that infrastructure, right? Server costs were way down compared to what they were. And therefore, um, you know, they could spin up a bunch of servers for very little money. And then, um, uh, you know, they could they could sell their services for very cheap and and turn a profit and uh, and become the behemoths they are today. I mean, I guess not so much eBay. But that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, but eBay was so huge. Like, yeah. Even if they're not successful anymore, it's crazy when you sit to think about like, okay. But they are really big. Yeah, eBay's yeah. still crazy successful. They are. They're, still crazy successful. they're just they're just not compared to Amazon. Really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're well, worth twenty two billion. God. I don't think anyone really knew what was coming. Like like we're saying, like a lot of people had guesses about what might happen, but I don't think anyone really knew what was going to happen. Like, okay, you connect to AOL for the first time, and that's fascinating, and there's the potential for money, but no one had any idea what they were looking at at first, including us. All we knew was that we had a computer and we could get to websites. We could sneak around without our parents paying attention sometimes. And we were the, we were the pioneers for that. We literally grew up with all of these things. The, the idea that we were the first generation to really have the internet and be able to buy, sorry, drugs. You could buy drugs online. No. The internet, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like our parents, our parents couldn't. They'd like go hang out with like Tommy from down the street and get high. The pod does not approve of any usage of the internet to purchase anything illegal that being said we do support tommy down the road <laughs> this podcast brought to you by tommy from down the street <laughs> thanks tommy from down the street so my mom i said hi um but i I'm, I'm genuinely saying that i don't think anyone really anticipated to use it for those means and yet that's kind of where we are it really ran away but surely like you were saying not all good things came that fast and people lost a lot of money a lot and a lot of people who invested did not see that return right right and i think you you said at the beginning like they didn't know what they were dealing with i think they did some people did for sure and i think that those people just thought that it was going to like either take off faster or that like the companies that they were investing at the time were going to hold their value like that was the mistake that was made that's true I very humbly stand corrected. Uh, well, I mean, you, I, yeah, I think I think it's uh, what you said was largely correct. I mean, do we remember the? I mean, the most common thing of of uh, that I remember being being a kid was being told like, "Oh, you know, you knew you knew somebody who their uncle bought one share of Microsoft back in." 
when it was worth 10 cents, right? Yeah. And then the next thing you know, they, you know, you hear a story about them cashing it out for thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, hundred thousands of dollars. You know, my great grandpa had a, one of the original shares of Coca-Cola, right? Sure. (laughs) Jokes, all jokes aside, I'm pretty sure that people in my family did buy into these companies and probably sold off relatively early on because they weren't so sure. And they might be kicking themselves in the ass to this day. Now, I can't say who it is, but we talked about it because the internet was a big unknown. It was Tommy. Yeah, poor Tommy. Tommy Tommy knew. Tommy had such a bad shake, man. But, like, you have financial advisors that are like, no, this is going to blow up. And it's like, I don't know about this internet stuff. Um, I think most of them knew what they were getting into. But when... You've got that kind of money riding on things, you know, and you're not hedging your bets. It gets out of control. And, you know, we want to call these bubbles and we want to talk about these bubbles and, you know, how they affect some of these bubbles. Some of these bubbles only affected people who were very heavy investors with lots of money that lost a lot that lost a lot right what we don't like about bubbles is bubbles that affect our our greater economy like losing tons of jobs and you know people losing their homes and and people not being able to afford to buy groceries and you know, all, all of these kinds of things. Like, th- these are the negatives and parts of the the bubbles that, which is why we're so afraid of the bubble. You, right. I'm not afraid of bubbles that only affect rich people. Like, I, mean, I don't care about their bubble. Well, except those, unfortunately, those in... Affect us an economy it that does trickle down profit doesn't always trickle down but man the little guy is going to pay for it when sure the big guys lose out yeah you know? that's what i'm that's what i'm saying and that's what like like so like the dot com bubble yes there was yes people lost lots of money but the people who lost the majority of the money out of the dot com bubble were very rich people and the 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 businesses that went out that went out of business were startups. Like these are like twenty person people to a hundred people companies. Right? I don't, know. This was I don't not, think that's. I don't think that's necessarily true. true. I don't think that's true. Like I think that the reason we like all our we even know about the dot com bubble isn't because lots of rich people lost money. It's because people lost their like retirement funds. Investing yes, in this people shit. definitely were like lost those are the people that lost yes. money. That's why we know about it, you know. Right. Sure. Right. Sure. I mean, and that's the case with the next big bubble, which was the housing bubble in two thousand eight. Right. You know, um, <laughs> I, I joked when I was living through it that I was happy I was poor because it, it just didn't affect me, but it did affect me. You know, like at the time, I may not have owned a home or had a lot of money or any investments at all that were lost. But 
like I felt the impact of, you know, the rise in prices of apartments and, you know, the rise in cost of food and transportation and gas, like those things definitely affected me. So I can't remember the dot-com bubble well enough to know if it affected people in that way, but it certainly had an effect on their, on the little guy's life. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I know that because my mom worked in insurance and her, her, uh, her 401k took a gigantic hit. So I do know that that was definitely part of, of that part. Now the the 2008 crisis that actually hit you more personally than that hit me. Yeah. Oh, you talking about my parents? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's true as well. I mean, yeah, they lost their home during that whole process, but that wasn't because they bought it during that process. You know, it it was because they could no longer secure a loan for their house when they had to re you know re, refinance. So right. that, that definitely affected them. And that was because but... of the, the um, of balloon loans, which mm-hmm. is essentially what what caused all this, like adjustable rate mortgages, like which was well, kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking, which is the banks knew that ARM mortgages was a losing proposition. However, like we found out, they were too big to fail. Our government couldn't afford for them to fail, so they're allowed to take as much risk as they want. And so that's where I really feel the beginning of the current, like, us versus them, poor versus rich really started. Right. This is Occupy Wall Street. This is <laughs> like. Right. I mean, like, this is I mean, I guess the modern American version of that's that's what I that's what I meant. That's what I that's what I meant was like sure. the more American, American version of that. Like like this is the big problem that everybody talks about today. I really think this is when it really started and when it really kicked into gear. I suppose it's not um, really fair to categorize it as American either, though. It definitely affects. Nope. It was the world. international. Yeah, it was definitely international. So home. So we lost eight point eight million jobs. Um, and unemployment had spiked up to ten percent. Um, there were eight million home foreclosures. Seventeen trillion dollars in household wealth evaporated. Home price declines of 40% on average. The S&P 500 declined by 38.5%. And there were $7.4 trillion in stock wealth that was lost from 08 to 09, which equates out to $66,200 per household on average. So that money just evaporated into thin air. So how does that actually happen? I mean, I feel like um, maybe I'm missing... It's because of what we were talking about before. How much is something really worth? So, okay, so so basically, really, it never existed in the first place, is what I'm saying. 
Right, that but that's why it was a bubble. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it evaporated yeah. in the sense that like it it was fictitious and then reality caught up to the investors in a way. Yeah, well and and to think about it this way, like, yes, that number was fictitious. But in another way, it was that number was completely real because that was the cost basis right. of things. And people were so, buying, lots of regular people were buying houses at those prices. Correct. So that was the going rate. So, you know, this, mean, this one was greed. This one was greed on top of greed on top of greed. That was allowing that that banks were allowed to be greedy because of a lax in in laws that prevent them from doing these kinds of things. There were laws in place that would have prevented them from doing these types of things, but were were essentially removed not that long before all this shit happened. It's right. like it was to other legislatures as well. Yeah. 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 So this was they knew what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> like like this was not a uh like oh we we don't know we're in a bubble. Like this was a created bubble. Sure. I mean I think the examples that we talked about historically like they they kind of fit that mold too. I mean, there it's 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 a way to kind of keep something going, you know, like to to offload the debts of the bank of, of England or to, you know, uh, try to figure out the debt crisis in France and like they 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 artificially inflate something on purpose in order to. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, doing it on purpose to make a lot of money and also to, like, solve some problem. I mean, like, the fact that the economy essentially, like, if 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 the, if, the, if it hadn't been for the 2008 or the, the bubble that was happening, right, it would have stopped growing in, like, 2002. Right. So, so let's take the the housing market specifically during this time. So before I was I was talking about something um, very specific. And so what they would do is they were selling these houses with adjustable rate mortgages. And for those people who do not know what that means, it means that you get a low introductory rate that lasts for a very specific amount of time. The goal and hope is that by the time that you've had this mortgage for let's say three years that the interest rates fall and you're able to secure a refinance at a very low rate however with these mortgages also comes the downside of hey but if that doesn't happen you actually owe more on your house and you owe more monthly because you have to pay down towards interest. And they called them balloon loans because your payment could go from $500 a month to $1,500 a month 
just because your interest rate on your mortgage jumped up and the rates never came down so you couldn't refinance. So what banks were doing was giving people who were not qualified in any way to have a loan, which is why they called them ninja loans, which is hilarious. Um, they would give people these loans that, that they should not have have qualified for at, in any way. You know, this is no job, no income, no, no money loans. Um, and they would give them adjustable rate mortgages. And then the banks would take these adjustable rate mortgage loans that they had, and they would sell those, lo <laughs> those loans bundled up to a different company. So they would make money off of the purchase and sale of the house and then offload their, their risk to other companies. Um, and they were doing the same thing with, with, uh, stocks too. They buy bundles of stocks and then sell them on to some, someplace else after they made a profit on them. And, and I think it's important to point out that like, if you at least take this the the like the way that our current economy runs as a given, it's not a bad principle to bundle things like that because effectively you're 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 minimizing risk, right? If you bundle like if you chose a uh, hundred mortgages at random um, and bought those, like if it was truly random, that would be a lot better than buying one because if one goes under, you um, then you have a huge problem, right? But if one out of a hundred goes under, I mean, that's not that as big of a deal, right? Um, you're still you're still going to get paid back for the 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 ninety nine that didn't. Um, yeah, but the problem it. was that the banks were intentionally bundling bad ones together, um, and not they they weren't allowing the risk to truly be minimized. Yeah. And so, and at the same time that the banks were taking all these mortgages that were skyrocketing because demand was going down and the rates were going up, they also had these marketing tactics that were like, it's so great to own a home. And they were like freaking brainwashing people into buying houses that they didn't need because they were making tons of money and offloading the risk to people that thought that it was secure because mortgages are never problematic because the banks are stable. And that was a big, big issue that not a lot of people saw coming. Because if the banks are telling you that it's good, and if the investors are telling you that it's good, and if you see all this propaganda, you're not going to realize that the bubble is going to burst and that people are starting to lose hand over fist because their houses are going into foreclosure and people are running out of money. And a lot of those houses ended up being abandoned and being sold back to the bank. And it wasn't even the fault of the people who bought it. They were basically told, you can't go wrong with this investment. You can finally own the home of your dreams, even though you work an hourly job. And we're going to give you this mortgage and we're going to give you this chance. And we're really taking, you know, we're, we're really doing this together. And ultimately, it, the banks paid nothing. And the regular person lost so much. And... The crazy thing for me is that I don't remember this happening. You guys remember this, I'm sure, but I don't remember any of this. And I well, think it's because of where I lived at the time, which is really crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm young enough to bet it was, I wasn't an adult when this was going on. Um, I was, I, 
like I was turning, uh, I think I turned eight. I turned seventeen in two thousand eight. Um, so so I it, to me I, like I was very well insulated from this. Um, I mean, I remember maybe my parents being a little stressed about it or something, but um, that's that's about it. I don't remember any of it. Yeah, so this is five years out of high school um, for Jeff and I. Yeah. What was I living in 2000? Oh, God. Texas? So. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea where I was. It's not, a, it's not important, Jack. You were living in a bubble. Well, the thing is, you weren't living in a bubble. Well, the thing that I'm trying to say is that it, it is kind of important and it's kind of relevant because I feel like where I lived in down south, I don't want to say specifically, um, but where I lived was a pretty affluent area where maybe this affected them some, but I feel like it wasn't as bad there as it was for other pockets of the country. Sure. So I right. don't think that it had as much impact there as it did like Cleveland or Indy or like Tampa, right. yeah. places like that. I think it was kind of just brushed over. I mean, if you had the money to afford a conventional loan with an actual non-adjustable APR, you weren't affected. Well, you were or affected like, in the sense that like house prices were ridiculous or I, whatever, yes. you know. Yeah. Like you were you were affected, but yeah, obviously if you had enough money to buy your house, you didn't have to worry about, you know, an awful loan going yeah. south. Yeah, you and probably like, lost some equity for sure. And maybe yes. the cost of bread went up like a dollar for me or like twenty cents, but I never I honestly after watching Wolf of Wall Street, which if people listening haven't seen that movie, I do recommend it because they tell it in a way that was entertaining and informative to me. And I'm kind of yeah. like this. Um after watching that, I was like, whoa, this happened? Where was I? Because I There's also that movie, The Big Short. I think that one's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's what yeah. I meant. I think I meant The Big Short. Well, aren't they both about sort of the same thing? Oh, I'm going to find out. They both have Leonardo. So, Big Short, Big Short was, if, if I remember correctly, so no, Wolf of Wall Street was <laughs> fantastic <laughs> before i see was was early 90s i believe late uh, 80s uh, late 80s late 80s was wolf of wall street whereas whereas the the other one was the 2008 financial crisis basically they're both movies where you're going to learn a lot about how people take your money and screw you over with it right okay and they're both vulgar just warning in advance to any parents that might be listening. There's probably nudity and lots of drugs. Yeah, uh, um, Tom from down the street uh, is has nothing on this. <laughs> I mean, any anything you would do with that amount of money, these people are doing in these movies. <laughs> so, what, so just imagine. That's you're gonna want to see Tom down the road after you watch this movie. Just to yeah. calm down yeah. a bit, you know. Oh, <laughs> Well, I, I feel like this is as good a place as any to wrap up. Yeah. So I guess next time we'd talk about next time we talk about this, we could talk about like the crypto bubble. Yes, please. And I know we, we do want to talk about like is artificial intelligence a bubble? 
you know that that's really what spawned this yeah we want to eventually right. get to, to that and, to, and discuss that because that's actively going on right now and honestly this conversation has like given me a lot of insights into whether or not i think ai is a bubble like my opinion on whether it's a bubble or not has changed since this conversation started today so i'm, I'm interested and really looking forward to that conversation yeah, so let's let's talk about that on the next episode of the Panda Pod. Sound good? Sounds great. Thanks for joining us tonight, every or to to whenever, everybody. <laughs> yeah, whenever you listen to this, thank you for doing it at that time. Yeah, in the in the future past. We're just glad you're here. Thanks for yes. joining us. And come join our Discord and, and discuss, you know, your experiences doing the, these bubbles. We'll listen to you complain about these awful things that you've lived through. Or just upload some pictures of you blowing bubbles. That'd be fine, too. Yeah, that's good. We're cool with that. Or show us your pets. Please join our Discord. We'll see you there. Bye. 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 Bye.